You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns, right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. We are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Hello, everybody. Burns in the middle of a Solberry Village heat wave on the banks of Primrose Creek. We are broadcasting on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio on our show, Future Theater. It is Monday. It is June 22nd, 2015. And tonight we'll be talking about the afterlife, ghosts, and what lies beyond death. Beyond the grave. That's right. That's right. And um, just a hearty hello to everybody and a hello to you, Angel. How are you? Howdy, Miss Burns and Mr. Burns. Say hello to everybody, Angel. Hello, everybody. Angel. Angel. So here we are. Here we are. And uh, we're excited about tonight's show. Um, and this is so funny because just this past week, and we'll see how we negotiate this contract, but just this past week, Joel Martin and I um, signed a book on the afterlife, but it's got a very special spin on it. It was Thomas Edison's last invention, a machine to talk to the spirits of right. the I've heard well, that. I've heard yeah, now, this. and tonight's guests um, will know probably all about that because uh, her book, and she wrote it with her partner, Jana L. Simmons, and I don't know whether Jana is going to be on with Candace tonight. I think they're, up until the last minute, we weren't sure. So it's, it's maybe both ladies, maybe just one lady. 50-50. But, no, yeah. Candace told me she was not going to be on. She's traveling. Okay. 90-10 now. Okay. See, there's a clue. Um, however, in, in the, for this particular book, this is not the only book that um, Candace has written. Candace is a writer from, from forever. And um, the foreword of the Afterlife Healing Circle was written by Raymond Moody. Okay. And anybody who's ever opened a book or considered the concept of, uh, we call them near death experiences, NDEs near-death experiences. Uh, I think it's one of the... Uh, Raymond Moody's book put this concept into the language, just like Bill's book put serial killers into the language. Um, hmm. You want to speak to that? <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be happy to. No, <laughs> I, I, it's not the negative. Um, uh, serial killers, serial offenders, that was a term in um, the world of criminology and in um, psychiatry, in the world of law. But nowhere was that term turning up in um, trade publishing, in true crime publishing. And Joel right. Norris, uh, Joel Norris was um, a, psychi- a psychologist. He wasn't a psychiatrist. He was a psychologist, a research psychologist. And he had, this was all the way back in the very early 1980s, late 1970s. This was during the whole Ted Bundy rampage. And Joel began investigating the commonalities, the common traits that repeat serial sexual offenders exhibited. Mm -hmm. 
And that's when uh, he contacted me through his agent, Carol Mann, um, about doing a, a research study. And we began working together. And we published the book, Serial Killers, A Growing Menace, A Double Day in, I want to say, 1989. And that's how the term... And that's how the term got into the language. And now people talk about serial murders and serial homicides, but nobody was doing that uh, until um, the middle 1980s. You, you should have slammed a TM on the side of serial killers. Just think. But it, you I, know. I would You'd have be had, so I invented, rich right now. So had, I invent, had I invented the term, but... I do as think... Sheehan, and here, and here's, I, no, no, I'm just saying, as Lou Sheehan is now saying to himself out there, <laughs> but you can't do that because a trademark must be fanciful and can't actually describe Listen, the don't object disparage trademark. Lou. Don't disparage Lou. I'm not going to disparage Lou. I just know what's uh, going through his mind right now. Well, let me tell you, uh, last night, uh, as everybody knows who listens to the show, just in a nutshell... Because what the heck, yeah. uh, Art Bell is coming back to radio uh, July twentieth, and uh, the art artbell.com website now has opened up the early subscriptions. And my goodness, five dollars a month—you have to sign up. You just do I'm in. at least for the first month. Yeah, just try it the first month because here's why. Uh, yes, it's a recurring payment, and you know that, and it's only PayPal right now. But right, right, um, it's cheery. It's a cheery little reminder to Art and to Keith Rowland uh, that every time the cash register blings, people are waiting in line to hear this new show. And real terrestrial radio stations are lining up. And here's the big clue. When you sign up, you find out that they've already set up an after show. Talk about afterlife, the afterlife healing circle. That's the nature of the show that we want to do after Art Bell. But there is already a legit show in that time slot and you can already sign up for it. It's a mystery. It's a big mystery. I think we broke the mystery tonight on Bell Gab. I think I'm not looking at the TV or the Bell Gab while I'm speaking, but I think the mystery just got solved. I think somebody... Uh, one of the one of the people and join Bell Gap. Uh, you can do it from is, is it who I pre- is it who I predicted uh, months ago? Yes, yes, not yeah, who I, I predicted. Yeah, and I wrote to Keith and asked him, "Can I say?" And <laughs> he's still doing the Keith thing. You know, thank goodness, thank goodness. If you ask Keith a technical question, you get a straight answer. But if you ask him a talent question, like who's the next person, because. Lasha and I have to figure out, do we want to do a show? Do we want to go up against somebody? Yep. And if it's who we're thinking, my, my thing is yes. See? So, I, I, nah. so Keith did not give me the okay to say. So I would suggest you go to bellgab.com, sign up, send some money to them too. They're nice people. Um, what else? And um, you'll know everything's going on. And last night, um, there was a great Bellgab uh, long two and a half hour show that I really thought was, you know, just a great chance for if you're interested in this whole topic and you're interested in this, if you just want to join a parade or hop upon a bandwagon. I love a parade and I love, I love a bandwagon, you know, just and join in the fun and, you know, hop, hop over to com, see what you can see. And then, you know, um, 
hopefully, and then future give them theater. five bucks and join the subscription. It's awesome. Yeah, it's worth it. And then it's so easy too. By the way, Nancy, I joined it. It's so easy to, to join up and subscribe. Well, not for, no, but see, not for our so our crowd, not for our group. Okay, for first of all, simple. Have you noticed? Have Three you step noticed program. how not? See, okay, I would not interrupt, but you interrupt too, and and I got yelled at like majorly on Belgab the fun forum and i think i steered it back into i will try to improve so see that up until just very see you interrupt too and so then the two of us start i've been trying to steer the, see but i'm like, trying to steer the conversation in a positive way but why should you steer the conversation <laughs> if it's my show that's a good point <laughs> that's a good point See, because you're a guy you feel as a guy you should steer i i you do should steer. lead yeah, see? It's a guy thing. Okay, you should be like and, Obama and, and lead from behind. <sighs> yeah, or or try dancing backwards in high heels, which is what Ginger Rogers did. Whoa. That's, I mean, she danced as well or better than Fred Astaire, but she did it backwards in high heels. And I'm telling you, that's painful. Very with bloody painful. feet. With bloody never, feet. Never worn high heels, thank you very much. Yeah, but feet. see, tonight's show is going to be fabulous because I have I, Bill's already spoken to Candace, but I have not, and I have just have a feeling she's going to be fun to talk to. I hope, and we're going to talk about the healing aspect. Doesn't matter if you don't believe in life after death, and it doesn't matter if there aren't some people coming back with scary proof, and it doesn't matter if it heals you. If looking into this. Uh, and, and finding out that your relatives are okay, your mom and your dad are not fighting anymore. They're kind of maybe there for you even. You know, the people who are closest to you, if they're there, maybe they could help you out. So that's, that's a big, big topic. And as we lose people, do we really lose them? Or can we put our hand through the veil and feel them? Well, that's what Thomas Edison believed in the last decade right, of his right. life because he had had a near-death experience. He fell into a coma and people thought he was dying and he was unresponsive. And when he um, awakened from that coma, he said he saw life on the other side. And that was his inspiration for trying to find some method to build a machine. Because remember, Thomas Edison invented the entertain the motion picture industry. Well, here, wait, 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 let me let me interrupt and tell folks that number one, ironically, you just sold this book to the very same publisher that publishes the Afterlife Healing Circle. So that's, that's number correct. one. That's right. pretty interesting to me. And second, you're you've got the even though the um, advances and the size of publishers are not equal, you've got the same exact problem that you had with Mickey Rooney, and that is, it's the worst time on the planet to take on an Edison project because finally people are realizing he was the the bad guy and Tesla was the good guy. And so now suddenly you get to do an Edison book when the newest people doing Edison books and Tesla books are all doing Tesla. Tesla was the hero. So you have an interesting uh, task ahead of yourself well, to, 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 to the- make Edison seem – because when you say that tale about Edison having a near to – I'm thinking maybe he's just a showman. Maybe it's all just uh, PR, you know, because he's the corporate, um, you know – He's the corporate suit, and Edison was well, the Well, he's the thing. ultimate corporate guy because his company that he founded was General Electric. 
Right. And how much of, of our world is General Electric controlled at this point in time, would you say? MSNBC, I bet. Yes. We're on the Internet right now, and that is Comcast. And Comcast and NBC Universal are partners, and Comcast and NBC Universal wow. are part of General Electric. So wow. yeah, you've got you've got Thomas. And in fact, the rivalry. But this is one of the things I want to also mention in the book: the rivalry between Edison and Tesla, which was deep personal hatred. By the way, they were out to backstab each other. That hatred. They were also competitors. Edison's um, financial partners were J.P. Morgan and George Westinghouse. Westinghouse invested in the company that later became Viacom, which owned CBS. So Edison, NBC, Tesla, CBS, even to this day, they compete every single night, 365 days a year. Okay. Talk about the legacy of competition. Yeah, that's true. But And so I was taking this moment to play around in chat um, because, you know, that's another way not to interrupt is to kind of a short attention span theater here. Um, yeah, so you've got, a, you've got a thing there. Uh, oh, but here's the thing. Poor Bill. Today was the, the kind of day that kind of takes you down a peg, if you will. Um, yeah. Okay. So and so today comes a big box of what are called what are uh, ARCs, copies. Adva- ARCs, advanced reader, advanced reader copies. And in fact, that's what I'm going to do. As we get closer to doing Bella Haven, um, I, I, we're not going to do a subscription model for a long time, or unless we have to. I mean, life will tell us what's what we should do. We don't know anything yet. You know, and that's way far in the in the future. But when we do a subscription model, one of the things I'm going to do is make a little welcome package for anybody who signs on for a lengthy time. Um, because I, if you anyway, I obviously I've been thinking about this a lot. If you ever subscribe to something that I'm behind, you will get lots of free stuff. And one of the things is going to be this advanced reader copy that came today. We got we we just got a big well, carton of this things. one because yes. this one. No, because this one has to go to – I've got a whole circle list ready. Um, Art Bell is getting a copy. George Knapp is getting a copy. Uh, yeah. I've got a whole circle we'll list. Have, but we have a bunch of them, and, and there will be lots left over. So my feeling is you can't well, sell only, them. Only, only after a few years after the regular book is out. Only, well, only but it's, then. But it, it's these a are not to circu- No, these are not to circulate uh, until after – after the book is out and has been selling, because that's what the publisher wants. That's why they send it. So, no, we're going to hold on to these. It'll be at least oh, yeah, a year yeah. to two years before they circulate. Even well, though publishers tend not to keep their promises to me, I keep the, my promises to them, especially well, this one. You might, you might want to look that up really close and do some close print. But anyway, yeah. But, but here's the thing. It looks like it's going to be a really super great book. It has – a lot of thickness to it it feels like you know it feels like a, a like a novel that you're going to like a Michener novel or something it's thick and this is the ufo hunters book this is book two two and this two and three basically right well yeah i com- i combined the second and third seasons yeah exactly. so and so bill is kind of deflated when he sees this because um art bell gave a quote and they haven't put it on this advanced it's reader copy be yet on, well, it'll be on the final is- it's on the final copy. And that's how the whole was in process 
before I got the cover quote. Thank you again, Art, before I got the cover quote from Art. But do you, do you, Angel, am I making it clear what came in the mail today, an advanced reader copy? It's like, um, it's a real cheaply created uh, proof copy. It's a book. It's galleys. Galleys, basically. Bound galleys. Yeah, it's uh, bound galleys. It's really what it is, but it's bound galleys in the trim size the trim size is the size of the book the trim size uh, of the actual book uh bound inside um a, just a standard uh tour forge macmillan uh cover well, but, so, but here's, so here's, it's not the real cover right but here's the thing it's meant for reviewers who need a book early so they can exactly do reviews. exactly now so this is fact, how you should know no i mean you should know happened. right exactly you should know that the New York Times, Publishers Weekly, and uh, the Washington Post do not accept final copies of books to review. They only review advanced reader copies. Because That's they want to meet, meet their deadlines. They want to they do a, re- a review and then slot it into the future. Like that, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out in a timely way. Exactly uh, right. So, yes, but, that's but that's how... I'm trying not to interrupt. That's how – see, it's not really interrupting, on the other hand, if it's your husband. Okay, yeah. it might be a – Start interrupting. That's like saying it's not cheating if you're, like, in another part of the world. Well, interrupting and cheating are two different things, though. I would yeah. never cheat. No, don't – see, you do that. <laughs> eh, that's, they're nowhere near – oh, my God, that brings up the topic. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to the Corso thing, but the point eh. is really quickly. What Corso okay. thing? When, course, when the Corso book came out – the advanced reader copies of the Corso book were sent out right. to review, and right. it had errors in it, the advanced right. reader copy. The point of it is, in addition, and reviewers are supposed to check back with the publisher when they're ready to quote for the final copy. They're supposed to check back and make sure it wasn't changed Correct. so they don't look like a fool. But, that, but the UFO community, this is a fine point for them. This went way over their heads, Okay. And please, so they please. I mean, so many <laughs> things go over the heads of the UFO communities. They go over their yeah. heads higher than the flying saucers go over their heads. Thank you for saying that, Bill. I was about to say something a lot worse. Go ahead, Nancy. Yeah, and I'm trying. I'm trying to be kind because I got schlonged for so many things that I said. Um, she said schlonged. <laughs> schlonged. Yeah, I don't need to rep- to apologize <sighs> to Redacted, for example, because I asked her a question that's been bugging me every time somebody says, "Oh, she's got a pretty voice." That's not the only reason she was hired, and it really ticks me off that people think, oh, it's almost like, you know, she's in front of a car or something at a trade show. You know, that's not what she's hired for. She's hired for being, a, you know, having a snappy comeback in addition An to intelligent a intelligent woman with a great voice. Exactly. Exactly. And so I got in trouble for asking her, you know, or saying something that seems to have been a slap. And, of course, she knows what I was trying to do. I was trying to get her to show she could come back to anything. So end of story on that one. Right. But anyway, so yeah, so yeah. So let's uh, get back to the ARCs in Corsa. So what were you going to say about that? Well, no, no, that was the end of that. That simply the ARCs had, had bad stuff in them that got corrected. It, the book was rushed and rushed to press without an index. and some, So anyway, so people are always wondering, why did, why did some of the people in the UFO field get so mad at you? So early in, and I think this is Kevin Randall's, uh, or someone else. Someone else read this, the galleys, and they weren't. No, 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 no. Here's accurate. the real story. Here's the real story. Okay, 
just so that folks know. And this is what I explained to Kevin Randall, by the way, and it was this. When, first of all, the Corso book was not the book that the motion picture company who had hired me to be its publishing agent, never the co-writer, the publishing agent had hired me and to write a proposal for the Corso book to publishers that I was working with, Simon & Schuster and companies like that. And I did. And at the last moment before the proposal went out to a bunch of different publishers, the, the motion picture company, their folks who were really guiding this project, said, oh, oh, you've got to say that Corso was an MJ-12. Well, Corso was never in MJ-12. Corso, quite frankly, didn't even know of, 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 of the existence of MJ-12, which I tried to explain to Stan Friedman. They said, no, 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 you got to. He knew of the people who were involved in the Eisenhower White House who were, and in the Army who were researching UFOs, but he never had heard the term MJ-12. So they said, no, no, you got to put it in, got to put it in. You work for us, you put it in. Put it in. Right, right. Circulated right. the proposal. Editors read it and said, oh, MJ-12. There's a book out right now called MJ-12. Let me get this to different people to review it. Meanwhile, when Corso found out that the motion picture company had put in that he was an MJ-12, he was livid. And he demanded that I take it out, which I did. I said, look, Phil Corso was not an MJ-12. He told me he was never an MJ-12. So really can't, oh, we can't. Uh, solicit a book based on his being in an organization that he said he was never in. So what happened was that we took it out in the final proposal. Mm -hmm. And finally, at the end of the day, that was out, but not until other people had seen that Corso was saying he was an MJ-12. And so that was how that, was how that got started. All the other stuff definitely was the result of the fact that the book was um, had to go into production fast because the whole point was we were trying to get this into um, publication on the day of the 50th Roswell anniversary of the crash. That is right. That is absolutely correct. And so there you have it. Right. And so, yeah, but, but the fact is, when the publisher, when the motion picture company that had optioned and then purchased Corso's life story rights and the stories, when they first contacted him, it was never, ever the, the, the most remote thing in their minds would have been the story of Roswell and the reverse engineering of Roswell technology. It was initially only POW's MIAs. Because Corso was uh, on the uh, on the staff, he was a military liaison officer on the National Security Staff, never the National Security Council, the National Security Staff at the Eisenhower White House. Again, something that got screwed up in the after Corso. Well, I wanted to uh, um, also bring up the horrible, horrible. Uh, just there, there was a horrible another shooting this not, week. Not, not to interrupt you, Nancy. Not to interrupt you. Yes. But with Lou is on the line. Lou, welcome to Future Theater. Yeah, Lou Sheehan. <laughs> I, I should let you continue, but I uh, two things, and the one thing will miss Nancy, and that's how your how is your Santa campaign coming along. But secondly, uh, someday 
It doesn't have to be tonight, but tell us what you agree with, Bill. This is for Bill. What you agree with and don't agree with in the Corso book is having happened. And don't worry, I, even if I was thinking what Bill thought I was thinking, I didn't find that offensive whatsoever. You know, it's just good it was It wasn't meant so, to be. I was. Uh, I, I know. I, was I, that, I didn't I think know, it that way. I, I know what thoughts. I know. I know what thoughts right. cross your mind, and that was the whole point. But right. you can't trademark right. something, right? It's right. like you can't trademark apple apples. But we're trademarking right. hyperzine. Well, I'm actually. just telling you, it, I did not take it offensively. I thought it was interesting. So yeah, you can't. I do mean, that. that's yeah, just right. good will discussion. Yeah. Well, okay. Lude, well, okay. Lude, answer you, those two questions. The Senate campaign, Lou, if you would. Lou, before you hang yeah. up, do do you have any guesses as to who the new show is going to be after Art Bell? Uh-huh. No, I know who. I, no, I do not. And my experience with those guys is they're very tight as your experience. And I, because Dr. J is a personal friend, I wouldn't press him. You know what I mean? Ah, right. I just, I'd respect his, you know, maybe he knows, maybe he doesn't, maybe it's him. Well, you know, Lasha um, I know said he's something. Super busy. Right. I like the oh, element yeah. of surprise myself. I just want to know. Right. And, and you know what? Lasha said something, something pretty, pretty clever in Belgab, and that is, uh, this is, she's Rose Girl in Belgab, and that is, what if we need to keep it a secret or keep everybody running around crazy so that the competition doesn't, you know, try to snipe our, our, our guy or gal? Well, that's an you idea. Know? Yeah. Yes, you know, if you I know. were in their shoes, which I'm not, I would rotate people in that second. See, uh, that's a good idea, too. Sh- but, yeah. you know, it's not my, I'm not the business person. But I would like to hear Bill respond to what he does or doesn't agree with or so. It doesn't have to be tonight. But I just think for the record, I'd like to know that. And not in a critical way. I just, no, I just no, 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 no. I will do that at some. Yeah. No, I will do that at some point. Right. But here's the here's the main thing in the like the five minutes we have left before our break. Here's the main thing right. I disagreed with about Corso, and I still disagree with it. And here and see if this makes sense. If the entities that crashed at Roswell were so technologically advanced, why is it that the technology that they evidenced was technology we were already working on. In other words, that was my biggest problem with the story. Mm-hmm. Who that said they were mm-hmm. so advanced? Well, You're but s- that, no, that's the standard rap on when aliens come to planet Earth. They're thousands they and thousands advanced. of years ahead of us. They must be more advanced. And my theory was, you mean they're working on integrated ships that folks in <laughs> Bell Labs were trying to come up with since the 1930s. You mean they're working yeah, that's on reasonable. right? Uh, they yeah. they have something called a laser, and and the laser was something that the Army um, uh, a lab at Columbia was already working on. They're coming up with things called uh, fiber optics. AT and T was was just at the point of developing fiber optics um, in the 1950s. Same with the transistor. Maybe wa- because there were other earlier crashes in the 30s, as some people uh, suggest. Maybe so, but I I really that was my problem. That for people mm-hmm. to have cro- that if these were indeed otherworldly entities that they'd mm-hmm. mastered traveling through space. Mm-hmm. Why is it, A, that they crashed, and B, why is it that the technology that we discovered there was technology we were already working on? Those two things and then, bothered me about the And, and that's, that's all reasonable. I'm curious if you have a comment. Why do you think he made those claims? Assuming they're not true. 
what if what if he's what if he's uh, distracting you and giving you misinformation since he was a lifetime intelligence (laughs) officer have you seen have you seen this thing called ascension which was a one time it was only a one season show um, no. You're talking to me Ascension. Or your well, well both. All through, all three no. of you. All three of you are. Well, I've uh, seen it because I'm sitting on the couch next to you, watching next to you, yeah. it, so you know <laughs> I've seen it. But this you know, is I'm a reading really. Georgina, I'm reading Georgina Bruni's book, and ah. the more I read it, that's my family the more name. I'm, oh yeah, that's uh-huh. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I read it, the more it's coming to me that it's clearly they, they being whoever the government, AFOSI probably AFOSI, went out of their way to muddle the story. I'm sure they passed around false rumors. I'm sure they drugged people, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's what Ascension Ascension's all about. Ascension's all uh, about, here's a brilliant concept. Uh, some kind, You know this, the Situation 3 or Alternative 3 that one of our earlier guests just this past couple months was talking about Alternative 3? It was a British television show saying that the powers that be have a plan to leave planet earth on a big arc, basically go to Mars or someplace else. That's alternative mm-hmm. three. And supposedly it, it already really started in the, and the crappy British TV show uh, movie was just a front. It really was real. That's what people say. And Ascension basically is that kind of concept and they make no bones. You know, it's not like it's not, not a big reveal at the end, you know, kind of pretty, pretty early in, this is a pretend mission in which everybody gets into the um, spacecraft and they're not going to come out for their whole lives, nor for their children's lives, nor their grandchildren's lives. And it's really a government uh, program. It's an experiment mm-hmm. in sociology, basically, is what it is. But the thing- so what if that's really what's going on? What if those crashes are just experiments? No, but the thing about... You know, I, don't mean to mock, I don't mean to mock what you're saying, but there was a, there's this old radio show that was called... Um, something X, gosh darn it, I'll look mm-hmm. it up on my computer. It's like science mm-hmm. fiction X, gosh darn it, it mm-hmm. was a half hour to an hour long, um, and they had that as a plot, what you just described. Wow. So this was back when it was, you know, radio theater, uh, a different type of radio theater. Yeah, check it out. Uh, Dimension X, Dimension X. Dimension X, interesting. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. yeah, and it's free on, it's, I'm not saying it's a great show, but, you know, I just always like to have something running and sometimes entertains me. Um, you know, I, whatever, whatever's going on, I don't have a feeling that the higher ups have my interests at heart. I don't think they really care squat about me. And I, by that, I mean, by any, any of us. So, you know, no, but you need a lot of money to get into that club. That's the problem. Yes. Yes. About Roswell that I think to me, which is really the most important thing through all the fog and all the mist, is that it seems clear that at the time, nobody really knew what it was. And the military went to great lengths in the year, two years after the event, to try and figure out what it was. Because all the people Mm -hmm. that we've spoken to, and it's mainly the children of people we've spoken to, like Magruder's children and people like that, they were all trying to figure out what to do about this. I mean, uh, uh, that was the mystery that they well, ate. You know, who would who would try and cover something up by saying we recovered a crashed disc? Who would cover up balloons by claiming they had a crashed UFO initially? That's the I mean, that's nobody the point. Is that stupid. 
Right. Yeah, but no, the original but the original PR release was not anybody. It was just an ordinary person who who does what ordinary reporters do. He reported what happened. And well, then he, he reported what the military no. told him. Yeah, no, 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 that, no, that was Walter Hout. Walter no, but Hout the first made that press release. Right, Even but what, but then it got pulled back and and, and called yeah. a balloon. But the first. But who, press would, release, who would be stupid enough? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Was who? What? What? Walter helped. Doctor. Huh? Doctor. Okay. Yeah. yeah Walter helped. He's in the military, right? Right, and, and he was, was ordered. He was ordered yeah. to do that, Lou. He was ordered to do that by Roger Ramey. Roger Ramey showed up at the 509th before Jesse Marcel flew the debris back to Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. That was in Walter Hout's um, statement that he made in contemplation of death. That was in his statement. Even if if Corso is all wet, that doesn't mean Roswell wasn't a crashed UFO. Exactly. What it means is, yeah, I know. And like I said, I think think Nancy's, I mean, who would claim to try and hide something that we've recovered a crashed UFO from another solar system. Who right. would say that? No one's that dumb. You would say right. it's a balloon. You would say you would say it, we recovered whatever, some kid's kite. You... <laughs> well, Lou, while I, so, we have to take it, a break in yeah. about two minutes, right. but let me ask okay. you real quick. Mm-hmm. You phone, okay, did you phone us and phone the number? Um, did you phone in or did you Skype in tonight? I'm phoning in. With your telephone, you just simply dial the phone in number, yes. correct? Okay. Yes. Because I wondered how to do it with Skype, and that phone in number uh, we can give oh. um, is seven eight six two four five eight one two seven. I wrote it down eight one two seven. I wrote <laughs> it down. And so, yeah. And now yeah. we're going to take our. And now we're going to take a break because I want to bring Candace on, who is patiently waiting. Okay. Good night. Thank you. Okay. Lou. Thank you, Lou. Good night, everyone. Calling again. Mm-hmm. Good Bye. night. Okay. So. Um, Bill and Nancy Burns, your co-hosts, invite you to listen to these messages, the following messages, while we (laughs) contact our guest. And and we are Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. And we're back after these friendly messages from the folks that bring you Dark Matter and PSN. Professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. 
And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Uh, the UFO phenomenon, either we like it or not, is already very much part of our reality. I've been on panels with uh, military people who you know, claim that they've seen the aliens buzzing our missile silos. They had very large eyes, and you know, I found their stare extremely difficult to bear. This is Martin Willis, the host of Podcast UFO, and we are here on the Dark Matter Radio Network every Wednesday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is my commitment to bring you an entertaining weekly show that takes a hard look at the UFO phenomena. Are they extraterrestrial? Well, are they interdimensional? Are they time travelers or something we have not even thought of yet? We explore these questions with interesting guests and witnesses from all around the globe. In addition, we bring you weekly UFO news with Open Minds TV, Alejandro Rojas. Thank you for listening, and remember, keep your eyes to the sky. This is James Swagger, host of Capricorn Radio. I'm also an author, engineer, and researcher. Capricorn Radio covers alternative history, alternative science, philosophy, and truth orientated discussions. We are proud to be on the Dark Matter Radio Network live at 8 p.m. Saturdays, Eastern Standard Time. You can catch extra info on darkmatterradio.net, jameswagger.com for yours truly, and capricornmembers.com for the archives. Don't forget, truth is not democratic, truth is truth. Everybody, we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. We are back with our guest Candace Talmadge, who is going to talk about her new book at Career Press, Career Press New Page on the Afterlife. And this is very exciting. Yes. Thank you. Hi. Hello. Hello. Good to be on the show. Thank you, Candace. Uh Candace, uh we can tell our we have a very casual show and mm-hmm. um so we're not going to uh, do it the way the other shows do it, um, but can you tell folks, uh, I guess, a little bit about uh, how this book came to be? How did you end up writing a book about how to heal after someone has died, which is certainly an important topic? Basically, it was through my own um, need to heal, and I encountered a woman who was doing a uh, 
a unique approach to healing, not at the mental level, but at the emotional and spiritual level. And it was, I basically credit it with saving my life. Well, Candace, who who did you lose when this was happening? I didn't, the interesting thing is that I have had, of course, everybody's had people they love die. That wasn't really what impelled me. What, What was driving me on was my own unresolved emotional and spiritual stuff. And working with this woman was so healing for me that I wanted her to support her and let her do her thing and out of her doing her thing, being a counselor and a, an energy healer, um, she had students and clients coming to her and they had unresolved needs. They had unresolved grief. And about nine months after we got together and started our school, uh, the mother of a, one of her students um, came to us or came to her, Jana, my co-author, Mm-hmm. And Jenna decided, well, we need to do this for this woman because she has an issue that, that needs she needs to, it's, it's outlined in the story. Her, I use the pseudonym Clara Jones, and it was an, an, it was an amazing experience. I'd never experienced anything like it. it to me, well, what, it was happened, just, what happened? What happened was that we helped this woman contact her mother, who'd been dead for two decades. Wow. And she told me afterwards, I interviewed her three years later because I thought, well, this might make good fodder for an article or something. Well, it eventually Mm. turned into a book. But what Clara told me was that, you know, she'd always felt that she had never said goodbye to her real mother, that her Mm -hmm. mother had lived a facade. This Mm -hmm. bothered Clara. Now, this woman had Mm. talked to me about she'd done extensive psychiatric treatment with daily sessions. She'd been done psychotherapy, but none of the doctors had been able, they'd been very helpful to her. I'm not putting them down. I'm saying they they were very helpful up to a point, but they don't really touch, you know, grieving in the dead. And that's one of the problems with traditional psychotherapy and psychiatry. It really can't touch grief. It's never been very good at it. Mm, right. And uh, this Clara said, look, this thing really helped me. I mean, I finally felt that I said goodbye to my real mother. It let me, you know, it just helped me let go of so much stuff. It, it brought me such inner peace. And that's exactly what the, the afterlife healing circle is designed to do. It is designed to help people through their grieving process when they are ready to to end it because nobody can say to you, well, get over it. You know, some people right. need six months to grieve, and some people need six years to grieve, and some people need six decades to grieve. All right, there's mm-hmm. just no normal, healthy grief period. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at some point, you decide, I really want to get out of this grief rut. All right, I really, I, I, I'm ready to move on. How do I move on? How do I let go? Well, one of the ways you can do it is through the afterlife healing circle. It's not the only way, but it can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, is this the Sunan therapy that in in Jana's uh, bio she talks about? And I I looked it up. Wow. Um, The thing that jumped out at me, uh, you know, is the concept in whatever Sunan therapy is, it suggests that it eliminates self-judgment, which is, without a doubt, 
I would say this, the, the meanest, the meanest, biggest problem on planet Earth is self-judgment, I think. Uh, you know, psychopaths perhaps have no conscience, but everybody else has a conscience that just beats them up, right? Well, um, yeah, um, uh, you're preaching to the choir here, sister. Um, uh, and, really, and it works? This works? This can quiet that voice? This soon Well, therapy? actually, it doesn't. It doesn't quiet, we call that the judge, all right? It doesn't quiet the judge so much as remove it. Um, because, again, you bring in a judge, you, you judge yourself because you misunderstand. Maybe you're a little kid, maybe something traumatic happened. You draw the wrong conclusions about yourself. I'm guilty. I'm helpless. I'm unworthy. Um, I'm no good. All right. And then that judge stays there and tells you that again and again and again and again. And your life becomes this pattern of repeating episodes because that judge is stuck in your emotional body, that subconscious mind. That is the magnetic part of your consciousness. Hmm. And it draws to you through that magnetic uh, attraction, if you will events and people that will reflect back to you the self-judgment that you have, but we always bollocks it up. We don't get what's going on, all mm-hmm. right? Because our, wow. conscious, mind, our, our conscious mind cannot get through to the subconscious. That's what Soon On Therapy is designed to do. It's designed to bring all of you together and let you make a new decision about yourself. And that's what Jana helped me do. And it was so freeing and healing and just gave me my life back that I decided that I wanted to support her, which is how I hung around long enough to find out about, yes, she does this thing called the afterlife healing circle, you know, cause it's really, it's really, it's been well, known. Tell, tell as us what the, that is. What is it? A, is it a literal circle of people that sit around? And, it is a, it is a literal circle of people. Now, some people call it a seance, but whoa. I contend to you that to whoa. borrow from Mark Twain, um, the seance, um, the afterlife healing circle and the seance are like lightning in the lightning bug because the seance is a bastardized and trivialized version of what should be and can be a marvelous celebration of life ever, everlasting that mm. we do not die, that we are not lost to each other forever and that people Ordinary people can find this out and experience it for themselves. What is the process of that circle? The process of that circle, well, first off, you you don't do a seance because you really want to talk to Princess Di, unless you're her brother or someone she had an emotional connection to. That's That's not what it's for, all right? When you have a genuine emotional connection to a soul that has crossed on, then you have a legitimate, in my opinion, reason for doing an afterlife healing circle. And the process we describe in the book of how a small group of people, four to eight at at tops, come together to enable a person we call the inquirer. That's the person who wants to reach out to a soul who's on the other side. The inquirer and maybe the inquirer's uh, relative or friend can come and then a few other people will join the group. They're volunteers. We always have volunteers. 
We don't charge for this. We don't want to charge for this. People are very vulnerable when they're grieving. So what we believe is that you just we just come together in love and the, the desire to be of service and support this person. And what happens is that everybody in the circle benefits. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether you're there to be the conductor, which is to sort of keep it going and, and move things move things along. Or you're just, you know, you're, you're a participant and your role is to get this information and help the person, you know, connect with the soul of, of the, their loved one. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It, like I said, it is a profound act of worship and mm-hmm. celebration. And believe me, there isn't a, there's usually not a dry eye when it's over. You know, there's well, a do, run, you do, know, So that you have a, 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 a questioner who's the grieving person, who's got the mm-hmm. emotional connection um, that kind of fills the room with a grief, let's just say a particular grief or um, a need to communicate. Um, mm-hmm. um, can the, Do the people who come to this to help, are they professional healers or no. psychic people? Mm-hmm. Um, no. In, in fact, you don't, the only thing you need, to, you don't need to be a professional the only thing you need to know how to do to participate and be very helpful in the afterlife healing circle is if you know how to send love, you're in. All right? Mm-hmm. And if you have what, an open what does, mind. What does, that, what does that mean, if you know how to send that means, love? How, that yeah. means sending love literally from your heart to the circle. And there's a method we describe in the book, the process by which this comes about. Because there's, there's like seven or eight steps that you go through. All right, you form the circle, you, you get the people together, you do, a, you, you, very importantly, you must ask for protection, and we explain how to do this. It's very simple. There's, you, don't, you don't need props, you don't need floating horns, you don't need mist, you don't need darkened rooms. I mean, all that stuff is ridiculous, and we don't have any time for it. All right? What you need is a group of people who want to come together and help a soul on this side and a soul or souls on that side connect. That's all. And 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 you're and you're saying that it when when there's not a dry eye in the house, that it has it has actually worked. The person who's the questioner actually says to you all, "I am absolutely sure that the person that is this, you know." In other words, what happens to the questioner? what happens is well, it, it comes in two parts. The first part is that we call specifically that soul into the circle. And the only reason that the soul will come into the circle is because it recognizes the person doing the calling, because that's the inquirer. They say say the person's name three times and then a nickname or a pet name, and maybe they have to do it again. But, But usually the soul comes right into the circle because the soul recognizes this person, which is why it really... Can you feel that? Oh, yeah, you can feel it. Some people can see it. Some people will know the soul is there. Some people will just have, simply have an understanding because how you communicate with souls is through your four soul senses. Some people call them their gut instincts. Some people call them uh, intuition. Some people call them psychic senses, but they are the senses of the soul. And whether or not you have a physical body, you have those four soul senses. And, and are they people, lo- are they are they all the same sense in, in 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 located in the same spot in your body, or can you learn to find them and develop them? You can learn to find them and develop them. They are focused on varying areas of the body, like soul feeling, 
is very strongest around your solar plexus, whereas that soul awareness, which is a knowing and it kind of just drops into your head and you're, you know, you don't know how you know, you don't care how you know, you just know. Mm-hmm. That is focused on the crown chakra, the, the back and top of your head. Okay, um, that soul vision is focused over the third eye, and you know you tend to see auras either in your head or around a person, and you think in pictures if you're high in soul vision. Uh, and then there's clairaudience, which we call soul understanding, and it, it really you can hear words in your head or words actually outside of your head too, but mostly it unfolds as just an understanding. All right, you, you kind of understand that someone's there. It's a little bit slower than the other soul senses. Mm-hmm. But those are the, the, the four channels of information and reception that scan the circle and are, they pick up the fact that A, there's a soul here, and B, the soul is telling us things. Mm-hmm. Because when souls get into that circle, they seem to recognize that the inquirer, still being in a physical body, is going to need some sort of evidence that the left brain can hang on to. Yes, that's where I was going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's called evidential or trivia, trivia or evidential material. That's the first part of the afterlife healing circle. And the, the, the role of the people who are, have come to support is to bring through this information. Um, during one of the, you know, during the one with Clara Jones, um, one person said, I see a field of red poppies. Mm-hmm. And another person said, I see a skull. This information was not for these people. It was for the Inquirer. It was for Clara. And as mm-hmm. soon as those two people said that, she said, yes, I know my mother's here. And mm-hmm. afterwards, she, she explained to me that red poppies were her mother's flower. She had them all over the house. And that in her mother's religion, the skull of Adam forms the base of the cross. Wow. And her daughter... The the woman's daughter who was in the circle would not have known that. She was brought up in a different religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, you know, and of course, I speak for everybody in the whole wide world listening and everybody. We so much want this to be true, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. um, I've lost both my parents, and I didn't even know that my father had died. Uh, We were that estranged. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so, yeah. So every oh my goodness, if it were true, I I'm so glad that we have you on because you seem like you're not a person who would make this stuff up, and just like with Raymond um, Moody, if I mean you know if you can, if you he, okay, didn't Raymond Moody toward um, after he wrote his first books, didn't he create a room that was a black velvet room with mirrors and very dark, I think maybe with a candle, in order to, you could maybe go in that room and you were pretty much going to see something. Does that ring a bell with Raymond Moody or is, am I thinking of... Uh, yes, that's what he, what he found. Um, he, he, you know, he studied Greek philosophers. What he picked up on was the ancient Greek, Greek mirror-gazing technique called the psychomantium. Uh, right, and, right. Yeah, in his, in his book Reunions, Visionary Encounters with Departed Loved Ones, he talks about how he brought a group of people to and spent a day with them preparing them to go into the psychomandium. Mm-hmm. And I love it because this is the technique that's going to work for certain people, and it's really good. And he said that most everybody who did the psychomandium got something, all right? Mm-hmm. And it may have even been a little bit later that they realized that they actually did get something, although at the time they were maybe so shocked they couldn't quite process it, which is, yeah. you know, can happen. 
But the difference between that technique is that although you get counseling beforehand, you, you do this alone. Yeah. This is, yeah. this is where the afterlife healing circle is a little different. You actually wow, do it in a, in a group. I, cause and after, as, yeah, yeah, I don't think I'd want to do it alone. Uh. Well, and, and again, some people want to do it alone. Some people need the group. And that's yeah. why I think people need options to decide, yeah, this, this, this works better for me. I'll do this as opposed to that one, because there are many, many options. Now, many people go to mediums and have a reading, and the medium talks about the departed loved one. And that, again, is, is helpful for very many people. But, but what I insisted on and why I like the afterlife healing circle is that it was my experience, along with the experience of the inquirer and the other participants. Nobody could have convinced me Mm-hmm. without the experience of it, that this was valid because I insist on, you know, gathering my own information and making my own decision. I've been always that way all my life. And that experience is very, very different from having a medium reading or anything else. And well, that's, how, many that's, have you, how many have you sat in on at this point? Well, not a huge lot, but you learn a lot with every one of them. I I wouldn't even be able to get, begin to count, I don't know, 20 or 30, wow. you know, so over about wow. 25 years. I mean, we don't go out and rope people off the street and say, hey, you want to do this? You know, right. that's, completely in a, that's completely inappropriate. We want people, and, and we don't charge for it. So we thought, well, why don't we just put this in a book? And then mm-hmm. people can get together and work this out for themselves. Right. Good idea, um, and it and and it sounds sort of like a minion almost, um, which is what the Jewish people do. Uh, they have all kinds of rituals. Uh, they don't. They this is the only time they don't wear shoes inside. They wear just socks on the carpet, and all the mirrors are covered. Um, mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. and you need a minion of ten men, I believe, to sit shiva, um, and just kind of hang. You know, and it's it sounds sort of like what you're saying in a way. You know, in a way, a in a way it is. Yeah, in a way it is. But it's usually you should do the afterlife healing circle not so close to the actual death. This is something that you do after. And why? Why? Why would that be? Well, for for starters, the grieving has to get over their shock because there's always amount of, there's a certain amount of shock of just the loss. All right. And believe it or not, the soul on the other side also goes through a shock because it's a tr- it's a huge transition. I was afraid right? you were going to say that. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a it's, it's a huge transition. Um, some souls are so confused by it that they don't realize they don't have physical bodies anymore. That is a that accounts for a lot of hauntings. All right, mm-hmm. they just don't get it. They're not physical anymore, but their death was so sudden or so traumatic or they're so emotionally invested in the place that they, they hang out there. Well, maybe, maybe the minion has, serves another purpose for that very reason, that if there's a minion going on, maybe the Jewish soul hears it, knows it, and says, I better move on because it's a ritual to help the human get over shock and the spirit perhaps to do the same, just maybe. If, if, the, if the soul recognizes that the minion is for him or her, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, yeah. that would. And that's, again, that is the interesting thing about a lot of the so-called, you know, traditions or native things that we've lost in our modern world. 
Right. Because we insist, we insist on logic and reason is the only valid interpretation of reality. Right, right. And, and as I keep saying to anybody that will listen, uh, Terrence McKenna's archaic revival is coming to be. We, we have to go back and find the stuff that we lost, even if people laugh at us because we're walking in our bare feet on the lawn, you know, that sort of thing. Or the, you know, just, just stuff like that. Um, because I've been trying to learn to uh, develop some instinct since I'm alive, it would be nice. And, and that's where when um, I came across this, the uh, statement about self-judgment, um, I mean, I spend a, a great amount of time trying to quiet the inner voice and figure out, you know, what I should do and not what I'm kind of getting yelled at for. And, um, you know, it occurred to me when you were talking, I was hoping in, when we talked tonight that maybe something of my mother would kind of creep in to kind of help the whole situation. And she literally, she, she was in ho- at a home. Um, it was hospice at home. And so she was able to watch TV right up to the end because she wanted to. And, her, and she was literally, the, I think the last person she saw on TV was uh, Judge Judy because she loved Judge Judy so much. And I realized when you were saying all that, that looking at her watching Judge Judy, she was just practicing because she loved to yell at people for stuff. And she mm-hmm. must have been picking up tips right up to the end from <laughs> Judge Judy. <laughs> And it sounds so funny now, and it's kind of, it is kind of a healing thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. lengthy to talk about, but I kind of had an ulterior motive in getting you on the show. And well, it was just... All I can say is that I am convinced from my perspective that your mother is not gone. She is not lost to you forever. She is in a space. And souls, you know, more and more I'm talking about this analogy. I find myself talking about this analogy. You know, Shakespeare called death the undiscovered country. Mm -hmm. And if you think back to 1850 and someone in Western Europe goes to the New World, that is... And it's very difficult. I mean, you can, you can, you can make, but you, you really can't even do pictures. They were just sort of getting going. You can do letters, but the letters take months and months to arrive, and they go astray easily. Mm-hmm. That is very analogous to dying, all right? You, you are moving to another country, and there is not much way to get in touch with you. There still is a way. But we have been conditioned and programmed out of trusting our soul senses, our intuition. You know, mm-hmm. the so-called backward natives and indigenous peoples know that their ancestors are around them all the time. And they know that they can talk to their ancestors. All right? And we're so smart that we don't know that. All right, 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 right. right. Uh, um, so what I know through and I know this through my experience that's why it's so important for in my opinion that people have an experience rather than just well, reading when about you it were, right when you Go were ahead. the questioner when you were the questioner uh, tell us what happened well i've never been a questioner okay i've i've never had one i've always participated oh. as someone bringing oh. things through well then how well, did because, how, how did you start to heal in the first place well, it was through the, the, Sunon, <clears throat> the Sunon therapy. That's how I started to heal. 
And by the way, in Sunon therapy, um, I don't know if you're aware of induced after-death communication. It's sort of no. a therapeutic pro- process. Well, it's sort of something that Western psychologists and, and um, counselors are beginning to do um, in, in which they help their clients connect with people who've died so that the clients can heal. The difference between what, what we do in Sunon therapy and with, with what I understand IADC to be, and I don't know because I don't practice it, but I've been reading about it, the difference is that when you're, when you're in Sunon therapy, your therapist is going through everything you are going through, so the therapist is there. So if we have a therapeutic need, if there is an issue that the, the person needs to resolve, that's not appropriate for the afterlife healing circle. The afterlife healing circle is simply to, to get to say, I love you, goodbye, um, you know. I, I you see. Know, so whatever. it's not asking the spirit to heal you and come in and heal you. No, no, it's, it's, it's the healing. Yeah. It's the healing involved in just being able to say what you didn't say get goodbye. said before the person died, goodbye or something else. But if you have issues with this person who has departed, um, then we do an actual therapeutic session in which you can call that soul to you, and you can converse soul to soul and get things resolved at that level. All right, that's an that's a different process, and it's more involved, and it's personal, it's specific to some issues. But that you can do that too. All right, so you know, I, I always say to people, it's never too late to say goodbye. Never. Mm-hmm. People think it is, and yeah. the very yeah. the very belief that it's too late fills most people with despair. Yeah, because you know, yeah, and and just not to kind of beat a dead horse, but I guess it sort of is what it is. Um, I was the I was the person being the hospice person for my mother and I literally left her side for just I I was we knew the end was near and I wasn't physically next to her um I was in the kitchen talking to one of my nephews who was so upset and I could feel he needed to talk and I couldn't get away from him and then she died and I you know you feel like I I I can I do nothing right you know now no 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 listen to me listen to me feel with what I'm telling you the dead the unconscious the semi-conscious can feel our love and our longing and our hanging on mm. and very often only when we leave and our energy goes out of the room do they have the wherewithal to give up and make the transition. Mm. By leaving the room, you freed your mother to go where she needed to go. So well, that's instead, chilling. <laughs> instead of doing something wrong, you gave her the space she needed. Yeah. So you, you wow. did her a favor and a blessing. And that, you will find that over and over again. Only when loved ones leave the room do people finally make the transition. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So please let go of that heaviness that you feel because you think that you were doing something that you shouldn't have been and you missed the chance to say goodbye to your mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You didn't. Yeah. You didn't. You can always mm-hmm. say goodbye to her. The so-called dead are really rather active for being dead. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and wow. they feel when we when we direct our thoughts to them, when we think about them or yearn after them, you better believe it rings their bell. 
Hmm. And the interesting thing is the same in reverse. You'll be going bopping along, you know, and then out of the blue, someone will pop into your head or whatever, and suddenly you find yourself thinking about this person. That's a message from that soul. And it means that that soul is thinking about you and directing thought, energy, love, concern, whatever, even anger, your way. Hmm. Wow. So the the presupposition um, of this is that souls are active on the other side and have a a consciousness and an ability to communicate uh, with the living. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And again, this is not for everybody because there are people who just simply won't accept it, which is fine with me. I'm not trying to prove anything. I am offering a means that people can take and adapt for their own needs, experience and decide for themselves whether then or not it makes sense to them and they believe it. I well, can't another change. Right, another very, another very uh, controversial thing is the concept of previous former lives mm-hmm. um, and I've read a lot of mainstream uh, reports that psychiatrists are kind of throwing their hands up at this point and saying it doesn't really matter whether it's true or not it seems to work so we're going to mm-hmm. kind of go with the fact that it heals people and can you tell us a little bit about how one can approach uh, the whole past lives um, conundrum you're, you know most Christian religions frown upon that. Oh, I've got a great story for that. But I, I, I can't help but be a little bit snarky about the psychiatric profession. I didn't realize they were getting that smart about it. Yeah, um, well, not I'd only say, that. I'd say, the, not only, yeah. I'd, say, I'd say the same thing. I can't prove. I can't prove in the sense that this will absolutely... I mean, Jesus walked on water, and people still didn't believe it. They saw it, and they did not believe it. All right? So it's, you believe what you want to believe. And I can't prove to anybody that past lives are they're real to me because, again, I have had experiences of going into past lives. I've written fiction based on multiple past lives. Well, that's, right? where I was, that's where I was nudging you because you're a fiction writer and you've got a series. You've got, I think, four or five. You're on your sixth book, I believe. Actually, um, I finished that book. I'm now yeah. I'm going to be launching my seventh book. Oh, and yes, what a dream. And it, oh, so, so, yeah, so, so can you tell us, is the process of imagining that fictional world anything like either the Healing Circle or, uh, and Satva, I don't know what the Satva Institute, I'd like to learn about that a little bit, but is it anything like the other things we're talking about? Is the idea of going in and retrieving this quote-unquote fictional story, is it an interesting process for you? Well, it's a process. I don't even know how to answer the word interesting because it's just like so vital to my well-being that, yeah, it interests me because Mm -hmm. it is who I was. It is who who I am. Well, is there any any crisscross between your real past lives and the fictional universe you've created? Absolutely. Like I said, they're based, the series that I'm writing is based on at least three of my past lives. All right. <laughs> and the past lives of Jana, my co-author, and the past lives of our friends. <laughs> um, and I can recognize who they were. Uh, the mother of my best friend from my childhood is a major character in this series, a, a queen. 
and she's very much the same now as she was then. The, right. There was I did a thing not, called... I, there was a mill. Uh, remember the the Millville group that we used to and we investigated years ago, the uh, uh, Millboro, I believe. I can. I've got the book right on the shelf over here. It's Mission right, to right. Millboro. Yeah, Mission to Millboro. Yeah, right. In which a woman seems to have remembered a past life, and so did a lot of other people. And we went and interviewed them and stuff. And maybe they're making it up, but it's really weird how they've all kind of accumulated in a certain area of wherever they lived. I forget where they live. New in Southern Virginia. California. Oh, okay. Yeah. But well, anyway. So, uh, no, the past lives took place in this town of, um, I think it was Milbro in Virginia. But the interesting thing about this therapist, because she was a therapist who was guiding this group, conducting this group, when they did research in the history, this centers around a, a Civil War spy story. When they did research into the story itself, they found the very people whose lives were being relived in this century actually existed in the 19th century. They actually found the records. That was fascinating to me. And then in one session among this group, one of the people had raped and murdered another people in, a, in, in, in that past life. And the two of them in this life basically forgave each other. It was really an interesting session. Mm-hmm. And it uh, doesn't surprise me. Souls travel in their, on Earth together because they're trying to either work things out or support each other. Um, I didn't specifically go... The past lives that were bothering me were not past lives that are involved in this series. I had other mm-hmm. stuff to... In fact, um, in, in one sense, the fact that I actually recalled it to conscious awareness the past life that I write about at the start of the series mm-hmm. was very traumatic, all right? Because it was a very difficult, very painful life. I literally bit off more than I could chew, all right? Mm. Uh, Because when souls come into a physical lifetime on this earth, they choose a purpose, and purpose is very general. It can be healing. It can be teaching. It can be spreading love. It can be, you know, bringing beauty into the world through art. I mean, just lots and lots of general purposes. The specifics, you decide. And they choose lessons. I want to learn to love myself. I want to learn to be more open. I want to learn this, that, or the other thing. And you try to choose parents and situations that will will help you with this. Now, you can be very brave and courageous and say, wow, I'm really going to focus on all this shit right now and get it all done with, and not very wise, all right? And that was one of those lifetimes, all right, because it was a very difficult, traumatic lifetime. And I, my guy, how do you, never how do you even... distinguish it from how do you know it's not just a vivid imagination because you are a person who has a vivid imagination in real life by how it, I mean, by how it feels. And, and what does that feels. How does it feel different? Uh, it feels real. It feels like, oh, this explains why I've always been this way. This explains why I've always had this fear. This explains why I can't remember being any other way but this throughout this lifetime. Mm -hmm. 
and it also explains the total devastation. When you when you recall this stuff and you're not emotionally prepared to to deal with it, it's not a you know it's not an easy thing. Now, fortunately, I had Sunon therapy and it helped me through it. But if you bring those memories up and you are not in a place where you can get that kind of resolution, it can be very very devastating. Mm. And my spirit yeah. guides would never would walk very carefully around that lifetime. And now. Looking, this was 25 years ago when I was talking about it, and I hadn't started writing the books. Now, looking back, I can I can understand why they were very very careful in what they said about this lifetime and the lifetime that just immediately followed it. That are part of the series because they knew how devastating and how important to my spiritual growth my eventually uncovering this and resolving it would be. And they were being very respectful of it. So, wow. um, you know. Now, how did you how did you first become aware of your own um, previous existence? Well, I again, um, I started doing the Sunon therapy back in 1986, and um, almost immediately there were past lives that I was dealing with. All right. Um, and that was not something I, I didn't go in saying, oh, I've got to do a past life. Yeah, that's what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm asking. Yes. Yeah, no, we didn't, you know. How did that strike you? Yeah. Well, it it made perfect sense to me again, because in Sunan therapy, you're not dealing in the conscious mind or the rational part of your being. You are focusing on your emotions. And as long as your emotions are held in check by self-judgment, the past is not over for you, and you will experience repeating cycles of issues and people until you can resolve that self-judgment and break the cycle. So that's what Sunon Therapy okay, is so, designed to do. So c- contrast that with the concept that some people I've, I've been kind of listening to um, are saying that the voices in your head, the things that you... you think about all day long, are basically just the cultural uh, collective unconscious. They are the, uh, the jingles that you've heard on TV and the things, last thing the, pers- the last person you talked to said to you and it begins to, and it floats around in your head and things, and then you begin to think I should do spring cleaning or whatever it is that you're worrying about, but it's, it's not your thoughts per se. It is literally the a helmet you put on that tells you what you should think. So if you're only watching right-wing television, you think a certain way. And, and it's basically, how do you contrast having any control over that stuff if, in fact, it really is outside of you? Or is it? Well, well, I don't think anybody can, you know, completely free yourself because the energy of thoughts are everywhere, all right? Yes, there's a certain... There's a certain, you know, high level of fear in this culture or or whatever it is. I'm not saying that that's not there, but I'm just saying that I think thought is a whole lot more. I think that we are consciousness. We are energy, okay? And that stuff comes in, but I also think that we bring our stuff with us, all right? Um, Right, You know, I I don't, I don't, I do not buy the enlightenment, um, assertion that we come in as, as clean slates. All right? I think, I think everybody comes in with baggage that we've had for many, many, many lifetimes. 
and it colors everything. It it colors who we choose as parents. It colors our issues. It affects how many lessons we think we can handle, you know, because we also come in with wisdom. We have learned some stuff from just banging around a few blocks. But what we focus on or what we're trying to do is is break these cycles of unhappiness and break these self-destructive patterns of behavior. But the behavior is a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. People who focus on behavior are focusing on the cart instead of the horse. Mm-hmm. The horse is our consciousness. You right, know. and I think, yeah, and, and I and um, we are, I think, coming up close to having, to, uh, it's our break time. Um, it's, it's five minutes, yeah, it's five, I think it's five minutes away, but, you know, the, the, uh, the question, there's a presupposition here, and the presupposition is, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, please, uh, the presupposition is that we are moving forward from life to life into the future. Is it conceivable that we can return to a past life so you are reborn again, but reborn again in a past life in the past? Hmm. Well, I can't prove that to you one way or the other. I think that's a perfectly valid uh, question, and um, you know, I can't say for one thing or the other. But I can tell you right now that there is no way any nobody could pay me enough money to live in the Middle Ages again. Okay, um, that's not exactly but that how would ex- I want to live. That would live. explain the uh, the conundrum of how you know where are all the souls coming from. There's you know the population keeps growing and growing. But in fact, if everything is alive at all times, you could perhaps just relive a life. I guess if you perhaps chose to go back and but see here's the big question i wonder because and i wanted to say this on the other side of the half hour um in your introduction you basically say uh, you know if we could get over the fear of death think what a life we could live but and i want to talk about that but has why won't the dead tell us what is the purpose of all the horrible dying why can't we just die like fairies or something you know and just float up to uh you know the light or whatever just like you know in other words why pain suffering why why such a big why something so beautiful should be so blocked with something so horrible well goes back to those two words self-judgment self-judgment is destructive to the energy of consciousness in ways that most of us don't yet recognize And if we believe certain things about us, we will set up lifetimes in which we experience those beliefs, whether they are positive or negative or whatever. Um, I believe that at some point, if we become as whole and possibly as we can, you talk about those people, those millions of people and billions of people being born. I believe that that they are being born because they are fragments of energy and they do not have their whole power with them. And that is why they they tend to be so helpless because they don't have enough of their own native power to get themselves out of the cycle. All right? Mm. But that's that's again about how self-judgment splits and wounds and fragments consciousness and that one of the reasons we come back to earth is that we're trying to get our energy back because the energy I'm talking about consciousness and energy they're they're the same thing in fact love matter 
energy and consciousness are all equivalents, all right? You know, E equals MC squared. They are all equivalents. People don't recognize that yet. They will. This is not my brilliant insight. It is the insight of a being who calls himself Magari, and he gave it to the Sunan healers who I asked that question of. And that's how I found that out back in 1992, I think. It was, it was a hilarious story of me wow. being in a Toastmasters meeting and, and getting visited it, by a spook. By a, by a spirit? Yeah, yeah, Dr. Sunan, who's the head of the Sunan Society. And I was sitting, you know, you, when you're a Toastmaster, you're supposed to evaluate the speech, listen to it, and say, oh, I think this is good. You could pr- and probably improve here. But he said, no, you're going to listen to me. I have something to tell you about energy. You've been asking about this for years. Well, we've got an answer now. So during, throughout the speech, he was ex- trying to explain to me that matter, consciousness, energy, and love are all equivalents and that the true definition, the metaphysical definition of energy isn't the scientific definition. The scientific definition is the ability to do work. The spiritual definition of energy is the ability to love. That is why God, the great spirit, Allah, all that is, universal mind, pick your favorite label, is the greatest possible ability to love. That is God. And that is an energy, and that is a consciousness. And how, so, how does that consciousness manifest itself? Through acting on energy and becoming matter. So that the Einstein special theory of relativity is applicable to this theory. No, well, you actually, can also see it. You can actually well, see this uh, on YouTube where, they, where you can actually see matter basically arise out of sound waves. You can watch sound waves when they crisscross. Um, they make you can actually watch matter kind of grow on top of a um, a bowl of flour and water as it gets vibrated, and you can sort of see that something is going on. And so it is. Uh, physicists right now are beginning to suggest to each other that consciousness might be a state of matter, like solids, liquids, or gases. So that's actually. Coming, you know, they're starting. I mean, we're going right back to that ethereal. What is the what is the substance that came out of seances in the eighteen hundreds? Ether. Uh, the ether. ether. Yeah. The ether. ether. Yeah. Right. Ether. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, this is this is uh, you have E equals M C squared is Einstein's um, equivalence equation. All right. It's very famous. He basically overturned Newtonian physics when he explained that far from being separate and Unrelated, matter and energy were actually different, fundamental equivalents, all right? Um, And what I'm trying to say is that that's a limited definition of fundamental equivalence. Matter, energy, consciousness, and love are all fundamental equivalents, all Mm -hmm. right? Which means that we are consciousness and we are love. And if we don't look like it and feel like it, it's because we are suffering from the effects of self-judgment that has wounded and hampered and hamstrung and fractured our consciousness and our feelings of love against self, you know, for self. So to, to answer your question about why all the suffering, right. believe me, God does not condemn us to suffering. That is not God's desire for us, but we have free will and we have a great deal of fear. And unless and until we can put our fear aside and let go of the self-judgments that we so identify with, we will always suffer. But we're free. We're free to make a new decision. 
that's exactly what Soon on Therapy tries to help people to get to do, is make a new decision about yourself. Be more loving toward yourself. Let go of this limitation. I sort of talk about a snake shedding its skin because the skin is too small. When we find right, right, and I was, you know, and you can't help but think of the snake when you're talking about self-judgment. I mean, you you think back to uh, Eve and the snake having the kind of discussion. Basically, it, we're still sort of living that that um, that we, talk, we right? and, and and we do have to take a break. Um, so let's yeah, do now that. We do. And okay, I'm so gonna, we're going to take a break, yeah. and we will come back on the other side of the break. Talk more about your book. Uh, I'm fascinated by your uh, by your fiction, so I hope you can talk more about that. So let no. us um, – so everybody, um, stay tuned for these messages, and we'll be back with our guest, uh, Candace Talmadge. Uh, right after these messages, we are Bill and Nancy Burns on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter, Digital Network, and PSN Radio, and we're back after – Introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes. That George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban fellow. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. The UFO phenomenon, either we like it or not, is already very much part of our reality. I've been on panels with uh, military people who, you know, claim that they've seen the aliens buzzing our missile silos. They had very large eyes, and, you know, I found their stare extremely difficult to bear. This is Martin Willis, the host of Podcast UFO, and we are here on the Dark Matter Radio Network every Wednesday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is my commitment to bring you an entertaining weekly show that takes a hard look at the UFO phenomena. Are they extraterrestrial? Well, are they interdimensional? Are they time travelers or something we have not even thought of yet? We explore these questions with interesting guests and witnesses from all around the globe. In addition, we bring you weekly UFO news with Open Minds TV, Alejandro Rojas. Thank you for listening, and remember, keep your eyes to the sky. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. 
Hi, this is Jeff Brady, host of In Other News, heard on Dark Matter Radio on Thursdays. In this strange period where free energy technology is weaponized, dissent is criminalized, and war economies flourish, the human family is being deliberately assaulted on multiple fronts in the food, air, water, and during sleep. Yet here we are with information at our fingertips, only to become a slave to the portable digital communication device. You know what you're really communicating. You're screaming to cell phone corporations, please put a chip in me. Past shows have looked at issues involving electromagnetic weapons, satellite stalking, RFID, orgone and organite, illegal fluoridated drinking water for infants, airport radiation scanners, secret societies, energy vampires, psychopathy, surveillance, sex trafficking, disaster capitalism. So tune in to In Other News Thursdays on the Dark Matter Radio Network, the pioneers of overnight talk radio. In a world run by thugs and imbeciles, by robber barons in three-piece suits, where a subservient media pipes sewage into the eyes and ears of the masses 24 hours a day, seven days a week, where do you go for the truth? Is the president an alien, either Kenyan or Zeta? Did the fabulous sea monkeys ordered from comic book ads by kids in the 60s and 70s slither out of their tanks and into ears, and are they running the brains of the ruling elite today? Is David Icke right about the queen being a lizard, or is there a sea monkey brooding on his brain? Like a jockey atop a chunk of horse meat. Are Lemurians beneath Mount Shasta really addicted to porn and chewing tobacco? Or are there spokesmen in the surface world deluded or deranged? For the answers to all of these questions and more, tune in each week for another revealing and informative episode of Around With Your Secrets. And get that sea monkey off of your brain. And we are back on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio with our guest, Candace Talmadge. Um, and we were talking about the process of the Sunon therapy. So, Nancy, what was your, what was your question? Well, my question was, uh, what we were talking in the break, and, and Candace was describing a little bit about the therapy, and you mentioned in passing that both the people, the the client as well as I guess the practitioner, you're both in an altered state and yet you're communicating with each other. Is this what is what what you said? Is this what's going yes, on? The the altered state is very much like I can describe it for you in a way that, that will prob- hopefully make sense to you. What place do you find very comfortable? Are you comfortable by a lake? Do you like to mm-hmm. go out and sit in a forest or I'm kind of partial to city lights. You know, I love to get up in a high place and look at city lights. That really Mm -hmm. jazzes me. And you you, you sit there or you stand there and suddenly you realize that, wow, half an hour has gone by. Where was I? Okay. That is the kind of altered state in which the Sunan therapist and the client go into. It is a very loving state. It is addressing the emotional body. And the therapist is using his or her soul senses to perceive and experience what the client is going through. What but is it is like? It sounds like like remote viewing, basically. No, it's not remote viewing. It's more of a blending of consciousness, so that the therapist is aware, or sees, or feels, or knows, or understands that the client is now a two-year-old child and we're dealing with mommy or daddy, all right? Uh Uh-huh, I see. 
I see. And, is and it more like a Vulcan mind meld? Yeah. Like well, it's, melding of the mind. it's kind of like a, it's more like a Vulcan heart meld, okay? Um, okay. It's not, your, your mental body takes a backseat. It comes in later, but your emotional body is out front. And this is a very different process from most types of healing, which is why it takes people kind of a bit of, of you know, experience to get used to it. All right, because it's a very, it's a subtle process. It is emotional, but it is not painful. And there is a specific reason for that because mm-hmm. of all those judgments that block your energy fields. When you, emotions vibrate, all right, and judgment does not. That is why judgment is inimical to the human energy field and to consciousness. Because okay, say that again. Say that again. So, emotions vibrate, but judgment does not. What isn't judgment an emotion? No, judgment is a belief, a fixed belief, a verdict that water is dangerous, or I am guilty, or she is ugly, or whatever, and it fixes reality. That's the way it was. That's the way it is. That's the way it's going to be, and it can't well, vibrate. Because vibration during, during this, brings change. Okay, and and during this therapy, do the do the folks speak out loud to the air yes, yes, to each people, other? Yes, we, we speak. The therapist and client speak to each other, and because it's not the therapist's issue, the therapist can help the client step back, and instead of seeing one flat side of the issue, you can flip the box over and realize that there's more going on that people have their reasons for doing, and that maybe what you interpreted was not accurate about those other people and about yourself. How so does this... Bring- but doesn't it sound like Stella Adler class, you know, in which an actor kind of is told to play a certain role and then he, he does, like, he well, pretends that's, he's... A, that's doing yeah. it in the conscious... That's doing it in the conscious mind, all right? This and how... Yeah, done. so how do... Yeah, how, how is it different from that? Because it's not an actor. It's the actual souls of the people with whom they have issues, all right? We call mm-hmm. them to us, just as we can call a soul into the healing circle. Okay. Because at the spiritual level, souls des- most souls desire resolution. Most do. Now, some, I, you know, Jenna has one instance in which a soul that they were trying to call did not come, but that didn't mean that the client couldn't get resolution. But most of the time, souls are Johnny on the spot, and just as much as this issue has been bothering the client, the issue has been bothering the client with whom there's a problem, all right, the person with whom there's a problem. So, so at the soul level, we can find resolution. At the emotional level, we can find that resolution. We can let go of that self-judgment. We can remove it because that's a limitation. It's a limitation on your self-love. And every time you remove and lovingly give away one of those limitations, the next thing you do is you reclaim the power you lost when you made that self-judgment. Because when you judge against yourself because of a situation, you literally hand over a part of your energy field or your power to someone else. So you take back your power, that soul takes back his or her power, you both go on your way, and that is resolution. That is true, soul-deep resolution. So it isn't there- a mental... Con- it is a literal exchange of power. And if you've never been in that situation, it is the most amazing thing to have a hole in your being fill up that you didn't even know you had. And I've had that experience dozens of times. So if there is a physicality to this, 
do, uh, uh, would you say that the souls themselves have a material about them? They don't have a material, but they have a reality. It isn't, an, it isn't a physicality. It is a reality. Energy exists. We may not be able to see it or perceive it with our material senses, but we can feel it, know it, see it, understand it, be aware of it with our soul senses. So the reality is that energy exists. Our feelings are as, every bit as real as the mountain that our physical eyes see. And as long as we feel and our, our feelings are trapped in a cycle and a loop by self-judgment, they cannot change and our reality cannot change. One of the things, one of the things that um, was tantalizing Thomas Edison, the inventor Thomas Edison, during the last decade of his life was a desire to communicate with the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And so he constructed... But it was an active period in which lots of people were trying to do this. It oh, right, right. No, this was, a, this was a period where there were mediums. This was a period where there were trans-channelers. This was, this was a heavy period, but it was a period in which the mediumship of the late 19th century, I mean, the great age of spiritualism lasted in America from the late 1840s right through to the turn of the century. It was a period in which the uh, uh, that um, age of spiritualism was kind of overtaken by another wave, and that wave was technology, which mm-hmm. promised that you could that the way you perceive the unseen was through spiritualism in the late nineteenth century. But now the way you could perceive the unseen was through technology. So building on that theory, and of course Edison invented, obviously invented the communications industry. EVP, the concept of EVP. Building on that, building on that, Edison tried to construct a machine that he called the spirit phone, the ghost machine, the spirit machine, in which he had a beam of, a very narrow pencil-thin beam of light focused on a photoelectric cell that was wired to a meter. And his premise was that if a soul, if an entity in the afterlife crossed through that beam, no matter how insignificant the electrical charge might be, that would register on that meter. And so in an experiment that he held probably in the late 1920s, he invited a a number of mediums to try to summon spirits to cross that beam of light. And that was his experiment. And and I'm wondering, how far off the mark do you think he was? Well, I think it was a whole lot of to do over something that he could just use his soul senses. All right? I I mean, technology is a very useful tool, but it's not going to give us wisdom. It's not going to give us insight. It's just a tool, like a hammer, okay? You know, or like a screwdriver. Well, when, you know? when, when science says that it has to be a repeatable experiment or it's not real, they, they have absolutely closed the door. The spirits are leaving, uh, basically. And um, even uh, someone was saying that he didn't believe in um, that Ori Geller had any skills whatsoever. And lots of people think he does. But because he couldn't demonstrate his skills on the uh, Tonight Show doesn't mean he didn't have skills. I would think that... If I were uh, a God 
God-fearing spirit, you know, I wouldn't want to be on television either. So just, you know, kind of saying that. But, but uh, you know, one of the questions from the chat was, do you think that spirits can communicate with each other? Yes. Yes, of course they can. Okay. Again, through the same cell senses that, that we have. That's how they communicate. That's how they know that they're around each other. Yeah. So if they right. do that, right. so if they do that, then is that perce- is that communication kind of like intrasoul communication is that perceivable by the living sure why not um i guess i'm a and, perfect and, and example is, yeah go ahead. yeah go ahead well there's a group of, of souls who are healers called the sunon society and i'm very aware that they're around and they talk and i'm very aware that they're doing things um because they're just around i know they're there and I'm aware of it, and sometimes I see them, sometimes they kind of wave at me, going off and doing their thing. So I'm, I'm sort of in the midst of that while I'm living my life, all right? It's a group of souls I know and who know me, all right? And I'm aware of it. I mean, to me, did, did they... the, the, the message that I have for people is this is not weird, all right? It is normal, quote-unquote, to recognize that this is not the only reality and there are other dimensions, where consciousness exists in many forms. Well, but have you been a person who has always had the ability to, to sense things all your life? Not all my life, although I've had, certainly I've had um, some interesting dreams when I was younger. Um, uh, I was in the sixth grade, I believe, when a woman, my mom, one of my mom's friends had been sick with cancer for a very long time, and I dreamt that my mom and I went to the hospital to see her, and the nurse said, oh, I'm so sorry, she died at like 3 in the morning. Well, the next morning was Saturday, and I was getting up, uh, setting the table for breakfast, and my mom came in and said, oh, she died, you know, the woman died this morning at 3 o'clock. Right. So I knew it. I dreamt it. Okay. And that was like, okay, all right. I mean, I was a kid. I never said anything about it to my parents. But how did you go from that to being able to sense that there's something called the Sunan group or so, in other words, and where did the name come from? Did they, did, is this a group of spirits sort of like the nine perhaps? Well, they're a group of, of healers from many dimensions. Some have lived in past lives in this world. Others like Nagari have never been in human form, but they are also souls and consciousness. And, um, I, made a point of learning to develop my soul senses, to recognize, A, this is that's, a soul sense. And that's what I B, wondered about. And, and how did you do that? About it. Yeah. Well, how um, did you, Jana, yeah. Jana taught some classes. She's, Jana's very strong in soul feeling, and she's very strong in soul awareness. And um, people would always come up to her and tell her their entire life story. I mean, she's always had this sort of um, air of, of warmth and you can trust her Mm -hmm. and I was very disconnected from my heart but she helped me put it back together all right she helped me put my mind and my heart back together and helped me resolve some big issues that were really very much troubling me so through doing the Sunon therapy you kind of you know as soon as you start clearing out those judgments your spiritual perception gets a lot clearer and sharper, all right? Because one of the reasons we have so much trouble sensing other realities is that our 
perceptors are just all chock full of judgment. It's like earwax clogging your ear, okay? They're all stuffed with self-judgments and expectations and this, that, and the other thing, and you cannot perceive because you perceive through your own energy field. And if it's clear and free-flowing, you perceive much easier. But if it's chock full of judgments and not free-flowing and vibrating, then you have issues with getting the information and trusting what you receive. Well, now, earlier you said that judgments don't have a vibration and feelings do, and then then I did interrupt you. You were just starting to say that the interruption, that the um, uh, vibrations actually seem to be involved in, in healing the hurt. Is that where you were going? What heals is to every, every soul, your, the soul you are, the soul I am, has a unique vibrational frequency. And I'm speaking in a sort of an optimal healed state. When self-judgment starts to get stuck in that emotion, magnetic emotional body, it starts to slow down and alter that vibrational frequency, and that's when we get into trouble. Hmm. And we start drawing stuff to us that then we have more traumatic experiences. It's kind of a self-reinforcing, self-destructive cycle. And why do you but, say magnetic? Why, you, you've said that, and it sounds like that's a, that's a function of a real physical thing, and yet you're using the term magnetic. Well, mag- magnetic force is not well understood by science, but it exists. Just the, there's a dual polarity. There's the electro- electric, the positive, the magnetic, the negative. Consciousness vibrates between these two poles. Every energy field is both electric and magnetic. So my consciousness has electric and magnetic energy, yours and the consciousness of every other soul. The reason that self-judgment, self-judgment can't stick in the conscious mind because it is electric and it flows readily. But the magnetic portion is a different type. It's the attracting part of our field. Hmm. And one reason we have so much trouble with attraction and can't understand it is because, again, it is blocked and wounded and hamstrung by self-judgment. And we can't just think, oh, gee, I don't want to judge anymore. That doesn't work. Well, the, the, the thing you're calling judgment, uh, as I try to kind of picture it, making pictures in my own mind, I keep picturing the big television tube that sits in front, you know, sits in our little house. And when you turn it on, if you if you weren't feeling judgmental toward yourself or toward anybody else, you, you would be feeling judgmental in seconds because every every commercial is premised on we are judging you by by you have you're a mouth breather or you have morning breath or your your uh, food is coming back and the the food is now you smell like your food on and on judgments all over the place and then the tv show comes on the, the actual programming and so it almost that as a metaphor that sounds like what the judgment is when you turn it off it goes away it's it's not real it it has no power really if you if you know but you give it over when you give your attention to it. Suddenly, you know, it's teaching you nothing, really. Well, the problem TV. is that the self-judgment in your own energy field that's stuck there, that doesn't vibrate, has a very real power. It's just that consciously you're not aware of it. It hides in the magnetic energy field, but it is very much real. And it's very And the Sunan, the Sunan people brought this information to you, basically. And so if you wanted to study more about this... Um, I, it's all linked up at Future Theater, so you can go and check. But 
it's fascinating stuff. Um, well, the thing that really fa- uh, tantalizes me is your description of actually seeing these entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And yeah. That, yeah. And, and that never frightened you when you see things like that. Um, actually, Dr. Sunan would make me laugh more than he would frighten me. Um, he's a very sort of Teutonic stuffy doctor with his white coat and his pockets are bulging with papers and notes and, you know, and he has this clipboard and, uh, I mean, he's just, he's kind of a caricature, but he's hilarious. He's very loving and he's gathered a group of souls and some of them are very strange looking by our standards, but it doesn't matter. They're all there for, for the purpose of helping other souls, whether they're in physical bodies or not in physical bodies, help heal their emotional and spiritual wounds. It doesn't frighten me. They're my friends. They're my okay, colleagues. Okay, so, th- so, so then what you've seen are the soul are, you know, I have to use the word, humanoid type of entities. Well, they, they, they seem very human to me. Okay, they're not humanoid. Okay, mm-hmm. they're human in, in the sense that they have had human lives, some of them. Others okay. have not. But, you know, they just don't have physical bodies right now because the only difference between you and me and someone who is so-called dead is the quote-unquote dead person doesn't have a physical body or a body that we can perceive as physical. But that that soul is energy and consciousness, and it could take on another physical body if it wanted to, and it exists in another dimension and is every bit as real as you you and I are real. Well, did Dr. Sunan ever have a physical body? Yes, yes, he's been on Earth. In fact, he's had a number of lives, um, both with with me and with uh, with Jana. And, and with what, and what was what was the last thing you said with you and with with oh, Jana, with, my co-author. Jana. Oh, with okay. Jana. Okay, yeah. And so, hello, Jana. Uh, she she would have been here had she been in the area, but she was traveling. And so, uh, and so, um, when did um, in his most recent incarnation, when did he pass? He passed, well, he's never told me, but I surmise it's in like the late 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, because back in 1989, I asked him about it, and he said, well, what you would consider about 50 years ago of your time. Um, well, do you I, think he knew Tesla or Edison? I don't know if he knew Tesla or Edison, but I do know he was a physician in his most recent life, physical lifetime. And when he decided to, you know, when he crossed over, he decided that he was going to do different kind of work. Um, it's so funny. One of the uh, one of the people in the book that I talk about, she has a group of friends who got together and started table tipping before they realized they didn't need it and they could just do, use their intuition. And her husband was a physician, and he was very skeptical of all this stuff. So after he died, um, they did a table tipping session to get in touch with him. And the first thing he said to her was, well, you're right. There is something more. And wow, I, suggested, I suggested to her, I suggested to her at Dr. Sunan's urgent plea that he find Dr. Sunan and perhaps work with the Sunan Society because Dr. Sunan is very interested in any physicians or psychologists or therapists who cross over. He wants to get a great group together. And, and well, um, have, you ever been con- have you ever been contacted by the Edgar Casey people? No. Because it would seem like Edgar Casey and Dr. Sunan might have been aware of each other. They were both practicing uh, medicine, in, in, at least, you know, well, healings I, and I, things. 
I'm, I bet that Dr. Simon was aware of Edgar Cayce. Um, again, though, when you're a physician and you're in the very scientific establishment, you don't, you don't admit, even if you're interested in it, you don't, tend not to admit that you, you know, you, you're noticing that because that's that's something that can undermine your seriously undermine your credibility. Well, I also How's, wondered if he had said anything about orgone. Um, Again, these are things, these are, uh, we keep finding out that in the 30s, there were lots of fascinating, correct ways of thinking about lots of things, including diet, and it, w- and, and it was squashed because it would have, we do have to wrap up, you know, um, but anyway, so that'll yes. have to be another time. Okay. Um, in fact, we so, do. Yeah, in fact, we, I'm, I'm we getting the, the high wall. sign. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. Well, go ahead. Next, week, I- next week, we finally have... Um, another show on this way a little bit, Psychic Detective, Mark Anthony. You, you Angel, know who I'm talking about. Okay, well, uh, maybe we'll invite um, Noah Felice to be on the show, too, who's also a psychic detective. But I want to thank, thank you, Candace Talmadge, for joining us tonight. Folks, you really should read this book because um, this is fa- we never got a chance to talk about your novels, and I'm interested. Who publishes your novels? They are actually self-published. I'm an indie author on my novels. Okay. So, okay, and, but they're and, and, all linked up. They're all linked they go, okay, up. Okay, good. So I am first, definitely going to take the a green look at them. Yeah. stone of. See, there's lots of wisdom in these novels, right? Lots well, of wisdom. It's, I, I I hope so, but you know, yes. it's it's just my wisdom and the wisdom of the souls uh, who who I promised that I would write the series. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, well, so good night. We have to say good so night. So thank you for joining us from the banks of Primrose Creek. We are your co-host, Bill. That's me and Nancy. Good night. And we night. are on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. Good night, folks, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.